and welcome to Silax, uh, the podcast where we talk about scientific developments and technological changes in Luxembourg. And in today's episode, we sat down with Dr. Anna Gowembiewska from Lich, the Luxembourg Institute of Health. So we could say that we just made a full circle, because if you remember our first interview, it was also with a researcher from Lich, uh, Dr. Gifa Garazzi. And this time we talked about brain tumors and, to be precise, glioblastoma and other research that Dr. Gowembiewska does at Lich. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Hello and welcome to Silax. Our guest today is Dr. Anna Gowembiewska from Norlax at Lich, so the Luxembourg Institute of Health. Uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me here. It's a great pleasure. I'm very excited to have you because I have to admit that I've been spying a little bit on your activity at Norlax. I find it really interesting. And in, I think, almost maybe three, if not two episodes, I already mentioned about the things that you do because they are very good for imagination, I have to say. I, I, either you have good people for communication who are able to kind of explain to us laymen what you're doing, or it's just the research that is so amazing because there's, you know, the shape-shifting and all the patient-derived um, avatars and whatever else. So it's, it's really, really good for imagination. But you will explain this all to us in a second. But first of all, I just wanted, as usual, to start with the basics. So what do you do exactly at Norlax, so at the Neuro-Oncology Laboratory? Okay, so maybe I can start with the name, where the Norlax comes from. So Norlax, it's a collaboration that started in 2005 by Professor Ron Bjergvik and Professor Simon Niklu. And actually, it's collaboration between Norway and Luxembourg. That's why Norlax. And in the team, so we are really looking and examining brain tumors. We particularly focus on primary brain tumors. Uh, what it means is the brain tumors that develop directly in the brain, uh, in contrary to metastasis, which are the tumors that come from different organs. And our main goal is to find the novel treatment, propose new drugs or novel uh, targets, or we are also looking for novel biomarkers that would allow to stratify the patients for, for example, precision medicine treatment. And in our group, it's very interdisciplinary group, so we are really looking at different aspects of the uh, tumor cell biology. Interesting that you mentioned Norway. I was actually recently participating in the science uh, Um, meeting, let's say, of the space resources professionals. And it seems Norway is also very prominent. So there is a lot of cooperation happening between Luxembourg and Norway, not only in the field of, of space, but we can see also in the field of, of health and, and brain tumors as such, as you mentioned. So we're looking at primary tumors. I just want our listeners to remember that recently I also talked to a very young researcher who is only 17 years old, and he was also focusing on on uh, cancer, on tumors, and more, more about, it was more about angiogenesis and diet. And if you want to listen to that, this is episode number 20. He also explained a little bit the difference between primary tumors, just what you mentioned. So just more basic terms, let's say, on that research. We're coming back, brain tumors. Will that be any brain tumors, or do you have yourself one particular that you focus more on? So we focus, of course, on the most malignant brain tumors. So, so many of the 
brain tumors are currently curable. So it's enough to have a surgery. Uh, sometimes people are followed with radiotherapy, but then the, the tumors disappear. So there isn't the need is a bit less important. So we focus on the malignant tumors, in particular glioblastoma. And this is really uh, the deadliest of the brain tumors. So uh, currently glioblastomas are not curable and all the patients die within one to two years. Uh, so only approximately 3 to 5% of the patients live longer than five years uh, from the initial diagnosis. So very serious and very much help is needed in that field to find out what to do. When I was researching and, and reading for this podcast, I also noticed that there is glioblastoma, but is, there is also glioma. Is glioblastoma a type of glioma and what is the difference? Yes, exactly. Glioblastomas are the what we call the grade four gliomas. So gliomas are characterized by different genetic mutations, but also by the grade, which is uh, a way to measure the aggressiveness. And uh, glioblastoma is the most aggressive form of uh, gliomas. Okay. Also called in your jargon GBM, I noticed, right? Yes, exactly. And you also mentioned that these are primary tumors more than than secondary tumors that you focus on is there any reason for that is it more difficult to actually cure a tumor that is a result of a, of metastasis it, does it look different than the primary brain tumor or is it why do you focus only on on primary tumors so both glioblastoma, but also the metastatic brain tumors are deadly right now. They are differences. Uh, of course, the metastatic tumors, when they reach the brain, they are already in the most aggressive form. And that's why they are also incurable. The major difference uh, is in the way they develop. So the metastasis is coming from a, a tumor cell that came via the blood to the brain. And what we often see is like um, many tumors within the brain. So they would be more surrounded, more like a, a little balls, but there will be many of them in the brain. And glioblastoma grows a bit differently. We are dealing with um, a large uh, tumor, which is very invasive. What it means is we have a, a tumor core and then tumor cells can uh, go to the normal brain. They can walk themselves along, for example, the neuronal tracts or along the blood vessels, and they can really colonize uh, the whole uh, brain. So this is actually the feature of gliomas. It's what we call diffuse gliomas. Uh, diffuse means that they can really invade the brain. Sounds pretty terrible, to be honest. I was just thinking, you know, from a private point of view, when you are at a party and people ask you, oh, so, Anna, what do you do? Do you have a version that doesn't scare people off or not? Uh, it's difficult. I mean, we have to say that glioblastomas are still rare tumors. So we shouldn't be afraid that all of us will get glioblastomas eventually. They are very rare. In general, primary brain tumors are rare. But of course, the aggressiveness of the disease makes it scary uh, for, for people. Also, as you mentioned, that it's, it's incurable, right? So even if you manage to target it, it comes back. And that's another scary bit, right? That, that definitely doesn't sell it well to the party 
of people who want to talk about something positive. So yeah, sorry, just thought about it because I think it's always interesting how people present themselves. And especially when you're a scientist and you need to deal with people who might not understand what you're really doing, that's even more tricky. Okay, so we talked about uh, glioblastoma as such. And then there is also something we need to mention is that recently you've been very laboriously reviewing all the literature that is there and you found out certain important factors that we need to discuss when it comes to glioblastoma. Yes, exactly. So I, I assume you refer to our work in, uh, on uh, tumor plasticity. So indeed, we did a, a detailed review, but this uh, came also from our own work, which we published several years ago. So, so what we understood is that the glioblastomas, like other aggressive tumors, they are very plastic. So what we knew for years was that glioblastomas are very diverse. We can say heterogeneous, uh, meaning that uh, we observe different type of tumor cells uh, in, uh, inside. And the initial hypothesis was that this heterogeneity is created a bit like in normal organ, that we will find a, a stem cell, so this stem mother tumor cell that is creating the other type of cells. And myself, like other researchers, we've been looking for the markers of such tumor cells with a hope that if we find the markers, we can attack those tumor cells. And basically like that, we will kill the whole root of the tumor regrowth. Unfortunately, what we understood recently is that uh, this, is, this hypothesis is not true, that basically all the tumor cells have stem cell properties. So even if we would attack the cell that appears to be more stem-like or it has more markers that are normally expressed by stem cells in our body, the other tumor cells, they can, if there is no more stem cell left, they can just switch back. They can turn back uh, in a plastic way. So we call it a stochastic progress uh, in that sense. And in that case, of course, even if the outcome is exactly the same, meaning we have this diverse tumor, as the production process is different, we have to rethink completely our uh, strategy uh, to, to treat such tumors. Why did you have this approach in the beginning? Why did you think that you will find the stem cells first? Is it because that's how other tumors are targeted? You find the, the cancer stem cells and you target them? Or why did you start from that assumption? I believe the assumption came from this heterogeneity issue. And indeed, in certain diseases, the stem cell might actually exist. So certain uh, blood cancer appear to be treated with uh, stem-like uh, approaches, but those are uh, rather lower uh, grade, so less aggressive uh, tumors. My own personal interest came from actually my uh, PhD project because I worked on uh, on a normal stem cell project where I, during my PhD, I tried to uh, understand how the embryonic stem cells differentiate and how they produce neural stem cells and neurons. And I was really looking at the structure of DNA. So uh, in a sense, I was a bit um, 
a naive postdoc that when I was recruited in uh, in Luxembourg because I, I thought I can just copy my PhD assays and I can perform exactly the same uh, studies and I will quickly find the cancer stem cells and that will be it. So uh, the first years were not easy, actually. Uh, but of course, I had a good background in understanding what stem cells are and uh, yeah, th- that allowed me to, to understand these differences and to discover this huge plasticity. Of course, it's interesting you mentioned this uh, naivety. I mean, I think this is also how great breakthroughs come to, you know, to happen. I mean, we have to kind of assume something. We can't always think like, okay, this won't work. That's how you get to the point of of scientific discovery. So yes, but of course, if you are a postdoc, uh, you do have to learn a lot and you will have professors that will put you in place at a certain moment for sure, because there is still a long way to go, right? So we know about this plasticity. And now what? What can we do about it? Yes. Yeah, so uh, as I said, we have to rethink our strategies. And what we are trying now to understand is how this plasticity plays a role in a treatment-resistant mechanism. So, so the idea uh, here, uh, the hypothesis that we we are putting is that actually tumor cells use this plasticity to their advantage when we treat them with the drugs. And uh, so, for example, if we uh, treat the cells with uh, classical chemotherapy or radiotherapy, it is well known that we will we attack the cells that are uh, undergoing proliferation, so meaning they divide. And uh, it is well known that the moment we treat the cells, they just switch off, they become quiescent, they sit there and they wait for better times. And it's one of the plasticity uh, of the tumor cells. So you can say they are smart enough. They know how to escape the treatment. And the moment we stop uh, the drug treatment, they can revert back to their original uh, features. And of course, you can imagine that this can also happen when we target, when we uh, design targeted therapies. Uh, So, for example, we will find uh, specific markers, and we have such markers already. And when we try to attack this specific molecule, for example, on the cell membrane, the tumor cells are very smart, and they just switch switch it off. They get rid of it. Like that, they are invisible to to, to our treatment. Uh, So, these mechanisms are currently not very well understood, and this is something we want to, to further examine. And to do so, uh, we'll try to really use innovative cancer models, preclinical models, that will allow us to do so. Because unfortunately, when we analyze the patient samples, uh, we cannot assess this plasticity. Because what happens is that the, the samples that we get uh, are often obtained so let's say from the brain tumors, we obtain tissue during the surgery. And the second surgery might happen uh, several weeks, if not months, after the last treatment that was given to, to that patient, meaning it's long time ago that the tumor cells switched back to the original state and we cannot trace back um, this mechanism. So we have to perform really experiments by ourselves in, uh, in the lab. To be able to actually observe it on a, on a daily, if not weekly basis, how it develops 
develops and how it reacts. And before you tell us a little bit more on, on your ideas for that, as usual, this is the moment to ask the pub quiz question. So something related to your study, something related to glioblastoma, as far as I understood as well, but I won't reveal anything more. Could you ask the question? Right. Uh, so the question for today is what are solid tumors and what do they consist of? So as usual, for those of you who are listening for the first time, the answer to this question will be at the very end of the podcast. So don't forget to listen until the end. And now coming back to the idea you, you shared with us, so this whole idea of having some preclinical models and all that. I was actually reading one of your articles and I showed it to my husband. I showed the title only. Okay, I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the professional article, not the, not the you know, uh, whichever press release it was. And he just looked at it, then he read it again, then he read it the third time. He was like, yeah, yeah, you just do whatever you're doing. I'm fine where I am. It's, the titles are pretty challenging for people who are not inside uh, the, what you're doing. So you are, as far as I understood, uh, trying to develop in the lab some organoids, these organoids are at the root taken from the patients who have the brain tumors. And then you grow them and you either observe them in the lab or you put them into some animals, which probably are mice in this case, right? And you observe them there. Did I get it correctly or not? Yeah, exactly. That's a, quite a good summary, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know that was very, very much simplifying the situation, but that's how I understood it. And this actually allows you to see how the brain tumor develops and also how it reacts to the treatments, right? Because as you said, you don't have a chance to see it only twice, let's say first, second surgery, but you can observe it longer. First question, you said somewhere I read at least that you can either just have it in the lab or you can have it in the mice. What's the difference? Uh, why would you actually only look at the organoid without putting it into, into another being? Right. So, so when we talk about organoids, what we mean is uh, small pieces of tissue that we put in a liquid and in the, it's like a food for the cells. So this liquid has lots of uh, glucose, it has lots of vitamins, all the factors that are needed for our cells to, to grow. Uh, however, our organoids cannot be propagated forever in this liquid. So, so the liquid is put in like a plastic flasks and what we get what we obtain is a limited number of organoids this is in contrary to what some people might know as cell lines cancer cell lines so for years we've been actually culturing tumor cells on a plastic often uh, the cells are attached to the plastic and then we give them similar liquid full of uh, food and we let's say force them to grow on such a plastic. And that was considered to be, it was actually a great breakthrough, like in the 50s or 60s. Uh, however, we understood that these tumor cells, they adapt very quickly to the plastic conditions. They are dependent on what we give them now, and they they uh, lose lots of features that are very important that were originally in the, the in the patient tumor and when we preserve the tumor cells in organoids which are like a free structure so it's like a little balls we are talking about maybe 300 micrometers to 
two millimeters maximum, but they stay in a 3D structure. They are embedded in this whole glue matrix. And like that, they also stay very similar to what they were in a patient. And ideally, we would like to really propagate them only on a plastic, but so far, uh, the material will be limited. So whatever we get, we, we would have to use it up, and that would be all. So the reason why we use the animal models is to really multiply human tumor cells in the brain of uh, the mice. Indeed, we really do it when we really have to. This is really necessity so far uh, for us, but we follow all the uh, legal aspects, regulatory, and I would like to assure the audience that we really uh, make sure that the, that mice do not suffer, that they are in the best conditions. It's great that you mentioned that because I know there is a lot of uh, ethical discussion about it. Question, why is it difficult to keep it for long is that I didn't understand so you said that before you had these these models on the plastic that were not 3d now you have the 3d organoid models but they can't stay forever because you are actually taking samples from them and they don't regrow or what's the reason that you can't keep them alive? So tumor cells, they actually need the what we would call the whole microenvironment. They need, they are like predators. So they need an organ to grow in. The moment we put them in the plastic, they miss lots of factors that they get, for example, in the normal brain. So or they learn how to live without those factors, and that's how they actually change. And they, they learn how to live next to the plastic and the food we give them, or they stop. They really stop growing and because they, they don't get what they need to divide. And that's, that's what we can replicate in the brain of the mice. Those mice are special, so they do not have a fully immune system uh, developed. So that allows us to put human tumor cells in the brain of the mouse and then the tumor cells, they have the microenvironment they need. Uh, so they actually can talk, uh, cross-talk with uh, neurons, astrocytes um, and so on in the, in the normal brain. And therefore, they can grow. Uh, so what we do is when the mice, we can detect actually growth of a tumor by the magnetic resonance. We have a special machine for that. Uh, and when we see that the tumor growth, we can recreate again the organoids. And then what I also understood is that you are actually not only trying to look at plasticity as such, but you're also trying to develop the whole idea of, of uh, how to say it, now I forgot the word, not precision uh, medicine, but how, the one that is focusing on the patient itself, so the one that is really only for that particular... Is precision, precision medicine, medicine or personalized medicine, both, it's almost the same. <laughs> ah, thank you. Yes, personalized. Is that the, actually, good question, is, is it the same? Could we say precision medicine and personalized medicine are... Are synonyms or not really? Yes, for for today's audience, I would say yes. Of course, um, <laughs> there are tiny, tiny differences uh, if you if you talk at the scientific conference. But the the idea okay. is the so same. I, can, I guess you can have a whole conference about yes. the differences, <laughs> but for today we can stay there. All right. So this is also important. Another part of the whole research, right? Is just to kind of create a special treatment for a special patient. 
So it's not only looking at the plasticity, at the heterogeneity of, of, the, of the tumor, but also trying to really fight this particular tumor, isn't it? Yes, exactly. So what we understood by doing by examining, especially at the genetic and other molecular levels, is that every patient tumor is unique. There are certain common traits, there are certain common genetic mutations that we observe in specific cancer types, but every tumor will be unique, which will be composed of a unique set of aberrations that they have. And that's why it will also uniquely respond to the treatment. So by actually testing drugs in a cohort, of the patient-derived preclinical models, we can actually examine which patients respond and which do not respond. And uh, we do uh, have all the molecular profiles of this tumor cell, so we can further perform correlation analysis. We can see um, whether we can find a marker that could explain the, the response, and then this marker could be used in the future, for example, to stratify whether the, the patient should or should not receive targeted treatment. And if not, why this patient shouldn't receive targeted treatment? You mean because it's not working? Exactly, it's not working. And we have to remember that uh, lots of the treatments are still very heavy for the patients. They are very toxic. So uh, getting a drug, it's not for free. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> sure. And also you can't just target seven different treatments because, well, obviously that's not going to end up well for, for the patient, yeah. for sure. Okay. As well, the podcast is also trying to find solutions and positive approaches to everything. Where are you right now with the research? Can you share something positive about it? Have you found something or is it all hush, hush? We're not talking about it, but there is something that maybe will come soon. I know I'm pushing too much because this is, you know, this is just a probably lifetime uh, work of many people until we, we find some solutions to that. It is difficult. Uh, I wouldn't dare giving a hope today uh, ourselves. We definitely see a few potential therapeutic strategies. So from one side, we are still uh, following several classical chemotherapeutics. So we regularly work with the pharmaceutical companies. So when they have the drug in a preclinical stage, or even if they start clinical trials, they contact us to actually test the drug. And there is uh, one drug that we tested that we actually uh, published uh, results in our recent publication, we showed that uh, day chemotherapeutic was much uh, more efficient in comparison to the current standard of care. Uh, so I cannot uh, say whether it will work or not in the patients, but this company has uh, free ongoing clinical trials, both in the USA and in China. Now. So we are waiting impatiently for those results, but we were really astonished to see how well it worked in our uh, models. On the other hand, we are currently also looking for the at the immunotherapies. So this is novel strategies, difficult definitely in case of brain tumors. It is not very easy to target brain tumors with immune cells, uh, but we are also starting collaborations with several expert centers in Europe, and uh, we are hoping to get uh, new, especially CAR T-cell therapies uh, in our lab to test. So this is planned also. 
Okay, so that means this will be yet another reason to talk once again, once that something new is developed, and I'm sure I will be reporting about your different research there. Um, I wouldn't be myself if I wouldn't ask another question. I was recently listening to a different science podcast, and they were talking a lot about predictive medicine. Uh, what about that? How is it with brain tumors and predictive medicine? Can you can you tell us whether it's possible in any way to predict that? Will be that only genetics, or where are we with the, with that part of the research? So far, in case of glioblastomas, we do not really understand clearly the origin of such uh, brain tumors. There are no clear, let's say, genetic traits. The the genetic inheritance is extremely rare. So I think we have to still uh, learn much more uh, what causes uh, brain tumors. So there is so much to know. Oh, my goodness. Of course, there are all the discussions nowadays are our cell phones you know, gonna create more brain tumors or not. People are afraid of different uh, influence, uh, starting from the food, finishing on different, yes, n- uh, modern technologies. But this, this of course, will take quite a few years before we understand it. But so far, it looks like uh, we shouldn't be afraid of uh, modern technologies, that there is no uh, a huge race of uh, brain tumors in the society. It's very difficult always to pinpoint the exact reasons for, the, for tumors developing. Uh, in one of our episodes, we were talking to a specialist when it comes to finding out what are the unknown chemicals in different places. So in the soil, in water, it was uh, Emma Szymanski, and it was exactly the, the whole idea as well of, 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 first of all, chasing something unknown. And so I got reminded when you were saying that today was very investigative, very uh, kind of, you know, um, detective work as such, right? Because the plasticity, we could also talk about it in case of, of chemicals, right? That that just get the environmental influence or or it's uh, it's about metabolism and whatever. And then again, we take those chemicals. We first of all don't know where they came from. And then do they cause something or maybe not? So it's also that part that, that is... Uh, yet to be to be determined in some way and to see whether there is any any anything to see and again if you find that then there might be another factor that you haven't looked at right because well on a daily basis we get in contact with so many different things that uh, as you said technology chemicals food uh, different uh, sleep lack of sleep that yes. I, I can talk a lot about <laughs> so, so for sure there's there's a lot exactly. to see so i'll be keeping my fingers crossed that very quickly, you will have a lot of answers for us. But talking about answers, we also need to answer the pub quiz question that you gave to our listeners in the beginning. So as usual, please repeat the question and then tell us what the answer is. Okay, so I almost forgot about our uh, <laughs> question. So, so the question was, what are solid tumors and what do they consist of? So first part, what are solid tumors? I always consider solid tumors as sort of aberrant organs that actually can develop within our own organs. And what they are composed of? Uh, so of course, the main component are the aberrant tumor cells. So tumor cells, they, they come from our own cells. This is the cells that due to the genetic uh, mutation and aberration, they became... Uh, crazy and they started to divide. But they, as we discussed a bit today, they cannot 
live alone. So they are supported by lots of different type of normal cells that actually already exist in the organ where a specific solid tumor develops. And this could be in case of brain tumors. We are talking about cells like astrocytes, neurons, uh, immune cells, macroglia, but also blood vessels because the uh, tumor cells, they need oxygen, they need nutrients. So, so blood vessels are extremely important. Um, and at the end of the day, all the cells, they need to stay together as we call it solid tumors. So, so they are uh, sort of glued together with, with what we call extracellular matrix. So these are specific proteins that are produced both by the tumor cells, but also this microenvironment, and they keep the whole solid tumor together. Probably stupid question, but couldn't we just kind of get rid of that glue so they don't stick together and then we just get rid of the tumor? We try that. We try that. Unfortunately, coming back to plasticity, the tumor cells will love to escape it and they find another glue, which is the, the glue of a normal brain just next door. So the escape would be here is to become more invasive and to, to move fast somewhere else. But indeed, yeah, good, good point. <laughs> good idea. Okay, just, you know, thinking very simply, I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm lower than your postdoc experience. <laughs> so, you know, if I came to you and said, like, why don't we do this? Probably 20,000 people have already thought about it 20 years ago, if not earlier. So, yeah, you know, I don't have any medical background, but I just out of curiosity, wanted to ask. Another one that actually you inspired me to ask, you said solid tumors. So are there also liquid tumors? Yes. So when we talk about liquid tumors, this is mostly the blood tumors. Of course, the blood tumors can also, you might, uh, they are different origins. Uh, you have, then, then it means that you have lots of tumor cells within your blood or they are stuck in a bone marrow, in a... Um, spleen and other organs yeah and that's it there are no other states of tumors i hope no uh, gas not that i know so what is important to know which for biologists is an obvious thing but i understood that many people out of the field sometimes forget it that tumors are simply cells aberrant crazy cells that come from our body nothing else yeah and that's a brilliant way to finish our discussion today, I think. So just remember about it. Good. I'm going to be reminding you for sure when we talk about this episode. And just uh, what remains is to thank you very much for today. Our guest was Dr. Anna Gołębiewska from Norlax at Lich. Thank you very much. Thank you. And this is it for today. Thank you very, very, very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as usual. Don't forget to subscribe, to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and tell others about us. Uh, write if you have any suggestions, any comments. I'm always happy to hear them. Or maybe some critique. Why not? Of course, we are always trying to be better. And also, some good news from us. As you might have seen on social media, we recently reached 1,000 downloads of our podcast. And this is a very good reason to celebrate. So very soon, there's going to be a special episode with our pub quiz questions. So watch out for that. And I can already promise you some amazing prizes. Once again, thank you very much. Uh, this was uh, Silax and my name is Hanna Siemaszko.
Thank you.